It's the Old Man Yells at Music Podcast. The show where a guy looks back at selected hits from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Also, some old musical TV shows, albums you may have forgotten or never even heard of, and more. Now, here's your host, the old man himself, Roger Stroop. Hello and welcome to episode 83 of the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. I'm Roger Stroop. This week is the ninth installment of my subseries, Turn On, Tune In, Rock Out, where I look at pop music related television series, specials, and episodes. 1978 was the peak year of the musical and cultural phenomenon known as disco. The Saturday Night Fever soundtrack was flying off the shelves and all over the radio. Established artists from Barry Manilow to Steely Dan to the Rolling Stones were incorporating dance floor friendly arrangements into their songs. And the New York Club's Studio 54 was the place to be for the hottest and coolest celebrities to shake their booties in BC and perhaps participate in illicit activities in the bathrooms, but that's just speculation on my part. I wasn't there. I don't know. Even children couldn't escape the craze, as this was the year that the Sesame Street Fever disco album was released, featuring one of the Bee Gees themselves, Robin Gibb. So naturally, America's television networks wanted to find ways of capitalizing on this trend. And at this time, when you were thinking about combining the, wor the worlds of TV and pop music, the man you wanted to turn to was the guy behind American Bandstand, Dick Clark. So when NBC wanted to do a disco special, they got Dick Clark to produce it. They decided that, discus, that disco was the hippest, coolest thing around, so, so they decided to air it at 11.30 on a Saturday night. The time slot regularly, regularly held by the hippest, coolest show on television at the time, Saturday Night Live. And they wanted to portray disco as sophisticated and sexy. So they did what Americans often do to make things seem sophisticated and sexy. They made it sound French. And so it was that on August 19, 1978, NBC aired a 90-minute special called Le Disco. I don't have a lot of background on the show, so I'm just going to get right into it. The video I'm working with comes from the Museum of Classic Chicago Television, which is at fuzzymemories.tv. Recording is from the Chicago NBC affiliate WMAQ-TV, which is why the first thing we see is the tail end of a PSA for the Chicago Regional Blood Program. Then we see various neon signs float across the, sc the screen featuring names like Tramps, Jackie O, The Casbah, The Palace, Vamps, Dillons, Boston Boston, and Club 47. These were all names of actual discotheques at the time. Then we focus on a circular, circular glass sign with Le Disco written on it in lipstick. Now the announcer comes in to tell us that we are about to experience 90 minutes of wall-to-wall -wall disco, along with a disco fashion show, dance contest, demonstrations of disco dance steps, a look at New York's Studio 54, and some very special surprises. We then go to an elevated door. 
out of which emerged the show's featured guests. First, the musical guests, the very special spinners, and the dynamic village people. Then it's the dance contest judges. First is actress Edie Adams, who's introduced as being from the upcoming TV movie Fast Friends, but who I remember as a child having, having a chain of beauty salons called Edie Adams Cut and Curl. Oh, and according to IMDb, David Letterman was in that Fast Friends movie as well. The next judge is Demita Joe Freeman, a former Soul Train dancer turned choreographer. And the last judge is Trini Lopez, a folk singer who was popular in the 60s. Finally, we are introduced to the three dancing couples who will be modeling fashions and showing us dance steps later in the show. Johnny and Yvonne, Alpha and Sharon, and Gary and Deborah. And the announcer then commands, Now everybody dance! I don't recognize comes on and we see shots of the dancers, the celebrity judges taking notes, and the set, which is essentially a pop-up nightclub built on an L.A. soundstage. A lot of elevated platforms, spiral staircases, and multiple mirror balls. The dancers are mostly white, but there are a significant number of black and Latino couples. It's pretty diverse by 1978 standards. Now the announcer, now the announcer tells us that some of the best-looking people are here. And so the fashion show begins. First, it's Johnny and Yvonne. Johnny, according to the announcer, is wearing purple drawstring cotton pants and a YM print shirt. And the announcer adds, mmm, colorful. Yvonne, meanwhile, is wearing jersey stretch pants, a gauze Indian shirt, and a pullover for, from Morocco. The announcer's reaction, exotic. Next are Sharon and Alpha. Sharon is wearing clear vinyl jeans. That's right, clear vinyl jeans. It's exactly what it sounds like. Anyway, she's wearing these clear vinyl jeans with a Russ leotard. Far out. Alpha's wearing Danish string pants and a large cotton shirt, tucked in and bloused. Mmm, loose. Finally, it's Gary and Deborah. Gary's in a 1950s white tux tuxedo with a cranberry shirt and two scarves. Formal? He actually, the announcer actually says it like a question. Formal? And Deborah's wearing a satin print skirt and an antique white chiffon blouse. Sassy and classy. Then we're back to Johnny and Yvonne. He's in Irish overalls and a, and a Hawaiian print shirt. She's in a yellow parachute skirt and, and an antique peasant blouse. This is where the announcer stops editorializing. Then Sharon's in military pants, a club sleeve shirt, and a short black RAF jacket, while Alpha's in military pants with layers on top and a scarf. Now it's Yvonne in black jeans and a large red cotton blouse with a neck sash and a wooden disco purse, while Gary's in paratrooper pants and a red satin baseball jacket. Then we see them all coming down the stairs. First, it's Yvonne in classic jersey with Johnny in a jacket and two different shirts. Sharon is in a tiered cotton skirt and look at Alpha's double red belt. And Gary and Deborah are elegant in his salmon, in his salmon suit and her peach dress. 
Looking good, says the announcer. It looked exactly like what you'd expect a 1978 disco fashion show would look like. The announcer now informs us that after the break, we'll see a group that's down, tough, and really what's happening. Village people. And then we get commercials. I always love it when we get commercials. First, if you don't want to nauseate people with your halitosis, brush your breath with dentine. Then people run in slow motion in JCPenney plain pockets, jeans, and corduroys. Then it's an ad for the latest Columbia Records albums by Barbara Streisand, The Emotions, and Johnny Mathis and Denise Williams. Get your star power, it says. And finally, a spot for the film Eyes of Laura Mars, starring Faye Dunaway and Tommy Lee Jones, a thrilling vision of romance and terror. Back to the show. More shots of dancing couples. A woman appears to stab her male partner with a toy lightsaber. A few people have these, and, are, and they're waving them around. There's another shot of the judges taking notes. Then we cut to the stage where there's a magician and his lovely assistant in front of a prop rocket. He opens the rocket and the assistant and her, and her thigh-high boots get inside. He closes it, then presses a button and the rocket launches. The woman is gone, but then we see her in this ball-shaped cage dangling from the ceiling. Impressive? Maybe, I guess. Now we see a couple dance doing the robot dance while in C-3PO masks. Star Wars had been out a year already by this time, but it was still pretty hot. And it had already combined with disco for Miko's number one hit, Star Wars-themed Cantina Band. This segment ends with a shot of a prop-flying saucer spinning around with a little green alien inside. Now we're back to the stage where the announcer tells us about the group and song that people are really talking about. Macho Man by the Village People. They come out and lip-sync the song. The group's pretty spread out. Some are on the stairs, some are on the platforms. And lead singer Victor Willis, a.k.a. The Cop, is on the floor with the non-Village People, who are very into this performance. It's clear that on Dance Moves Alone, Willis the group's biggest talent. And it probably isn't a coincidence that the group's decline coincided with his leaving. And yes, from the modern perspective, it's obvious these guys were gay camp hiding in plain sight. But the straight mainstream seemed blissfully ignorant of that. That's kind of a microcosm of disco itself, a phenomenon that was initially popular in gay clubs, but was embraced by an oblivious mass audience that probably wouldn't have been so receptive if they had they known. Now the announcer tells us we're about to see the first round of the dance contest. The judges will select six couples based on their scores in the categories of originality, variety of steps, individual execution, couple coordination, and appearance. Look good, baby. Look sharp. Then we cut to the floor, and all of the various dancers we've been seeing throughout the show so far are out there. We get some judges' shots, 
Then they send Yvonne, Sharon, and Deborah down to the floor to pick out couples and guide them to the stage, where they continue dancing. Once all six semifinalists are chosen, the crowd stops to applaud them. Then the announcer tells us that after the break, we'll be jumping to New York's Studio 54. And then more commercials. A woman in Hawaii surfs, then drives her new Volkswagen Rabbit along the beach. Then it's a Dr. Pepper Be a Pepper ad. But instead of David Naughton, it's professional athletes asking if you'd like to be a pepper too. First is boxer Sugar Ray Leonard, two years after winning Olympic gold and two years before his first two fights with Roberto Duran. At this point in his career, he was three weeks away from winning his 14th professional fight. A 10th round TKO over Floyd Mayweather, senior. Hey, you know how boxing these days is all about freak show exhibition fights? Maybe someone should put together Sugar Ray versus Floyd Jr. with with Floyd Jr. having one hand tied behind his back or some other kind of handicap. The son gets his revenge or something like that. I bet people would buy it. Oh, and not long after this, Ray would switch soft drink allegiances to 7-Up. That's okay. They were owned by the same company as Dr. Pepper. The other athletes in this ad were Ken Cooper, the English goalkeeper for the Dallas Tornado of the North American Soccer League, and Meadowlark Lemon of the Harlem Globetrotters. The next commercial was for AIDS. Oh, not that one. This was AYDS, a company that made candies and drink powders that contained appetite suppressants to help with weight loss. The product fell out of favor during the 80s for some reason. Maybe it's related to how jarring it sounded to hear an announcer say, AIDS on sale at Walgreens for $4.99. Now that's a deal. <laughs> and finally, there's a commercial with kids asking who's got the best darn burger in the whole wide world. The answer? Burger King and I. Good job on the grammar, kids. Your teachers and Yul Brynner would be proud. We'll go back into the disco right after this. Hi, this is your host, Roger Stroop letting you know that if you like my point of view on old pop music, you can actually find lots more of it on the Old Man Yells at Music blog. I've been looking back at top 40 charts from the 70s, 80s, and 90s and beyond for almost 10 years now, and I've done hundreds of entries and covered thousands of songs from the American, Canadian, and British charts, from the A's to ZZ Top, from Abacab to Zoom. You'll also find my Uneasy Writer tournaments, celebrating the odd ducks of the American Top 40. The 70s tourney is complete, but the 80s one is just getting started, and you can follow along on the blog as it progresses. And of course, you can find links to the latest episode of this podcast and the accompanying YouTube playlists there. So take a look at the Old Man Yells at Music blog, which you can find at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. Why is it there? You'll have to go there to find out. That's the Old Man Yells at Music blog at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. We're back, and we're just outside Studio 54, the place you've heard so much about, according to the announcer. It's been an opera house, a TV and radio studio, and now it's known just as much for the people it turns away as the people it lets in. We follow the camera in and through the club in a way that reminds me of Henry and Karen going into the Copacabana in Goodfellas. 
There's a man behind the bar with no shirt, but a collar and bow tie, twirling around with a cocktail shaker. This is how to shake up a drink, says the announcer. Now we go up the stairs and check out the view from the balcony, where we look down on the massive, beautiful people dancing to Boogie Oogie Oogie. Hard to believe this was once the home of What's My Line? Insert cocaine joke here. Now we go to the DJ booth, where we scan the record racks and the audio equipment before we see him adjusting some knobs. Then the announcer says, Meanwhile, back at the lounge, more fun and games. But all we see are people sitting around. Maybe we should check the bathrooms. But instead, we're back on the dance floor where there's now confetti raining down. Then we're back to an exterior shot, and the announcer says, Bye-bye, 54. Hello again, La Disco. Back in L.A., Johnny and Yvonne are now demonstrating the steps of the New York hustle. I'm not going to go through them like the announcer does, but they show us the steps, and then the rest of the dancers are told to try it out, which they do to varying degrees of success. Now we hear some jungle noises, some plastic vines come down, and now there's a woman on a trapeze above the stage in a sparkly two-piece outfit. She does some tricks to occasional cheers, but mostly everyone keeps dancing. The guy's tank top is used as a green screen, and a mass of crawling ants is projected on him. Then the woman stands on the trapeze and then suddenly falls and screams. Fortunately, there's a giant black monkey hand there to catch her. Ah, King Kong. NBC had just paid nearly $20 million for the broadcast rights to the 1976 remake, and they were about to air it for the first time in September of 1978. So that's some, there's some subtle cross-promotion going on there. And now more commercials. There's an ad for CB radios at Radio Shack, only $69.99. Then an ad for Speedstick, which is much better than those roll-on deodorants. Then two twin girls want different varieties of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yes, they call it, called it back then with no reservations. We're fried, damn it. One girl wanted original recipe, the other extra crispy. Then a, then a United Airlines spot with, the guy with, the, with that guy with the sticks who directs the planes on the runway, uh, doing it like he's conducting an orchestra. Then there's a brief interstitial where the announcer's where the announcer tells us to stay tuned because the show is bold, baby. Followed by a promo for a Raiders 49ers preseason football game. Then we are asked, where were you in 1523? In an ad for the book, Have You Lived Before This Life? by L. Ron Hubbard. Makes sense because disco and Scientology were already connected through John Travolta. Then there's a commercial for the local car, car dealership Farnsworth Ford, and a couple cycles through the countryside before stopping to enjoy, enjoy some Pabst Blue Ribbon beer. And their kids grew up to be insufferable hipsters. We come back to our six featured dancers performing a group number. There's not much to it. Then the announcer says, gold albums, gold singles, and now their new song, If You Want to Do a Dance. It's everyone's favorite, The Spinners. They take the stage in green jackets and white pants. The song is on the slower side, but people still dance. They do some decent group choreography. It's okay. Then we see an image of fire. 
and the room fills with smoke, or more likely dry ice. A disco cover of the 60s hit Fire, originally by the crazy world of Arthur Brown, plays. The magician and his assistant are back, accompanied by another male assistant. There's a box on the stage, and the men help the woman into it. It looks like one of those boxes where they put the swords in, and you think he's killing her, but then she disappears, and she comes from backstage, and she's completely fine. But that's not what happens here. Instead, he lights a torch and sets the box on fire. The sides drop away, and all we see is a pile of flaming ashes. Wow, she burned fast, and she didn't make much noise. The dancers pay no attention to this apparent tragedy, particularly the, particularly the couple with the woman on the guy's shoulders who are doing synchronized hand movements. Fire alarm bells go off. More smoke appears, and down the stairs come a group of men and women in firefighter hats and, and suspenders. Then we cut back to that shot of fire, and we go to break, with no closure on the woman in the box. Clearly, she's been killed in a trick gone wrong, and we're meant to forget we ever saw her. So now commercials again. First, it's Ella Fitzgerald assuring us that we won't, wouldn't be able to differ, differentiate between hearing her sing live and listening to her on a Memorex tape. Then there are ads for 100% cotton denim Wrangler jeans and Marie's blue cheese salad dressing. And finally, another star power ad for, for the new albums by the Isley Brothers, Heatwave, and the OJs. We return for the dance contest semifinals. We're introduced to the contenders, Lisa Frazier and Denny Cisneros, Lynn Dameron and Harry Flores, who are rocking tank tops and short shorts, Chuck Newman and Diana Smith, both of whom look like they've come off a golf course in the 1950s, Ken Kashan and Maxine Andre, Jerry Johnson and Sandra Nixon, and Dwight Smith and Erica Etour. They dance for a while in a spotlit area, and then the final three are chosen. Lynn and Harry, Ken and Maxine, and Dwight and Erica. Now the song changes to Grease by Frankie Valley. A couple on stilts is now among the dancers. The woman on the trapeze is back. This time she's in white. She dangles by her foot. A couple wearing one red sweater that they're both in and a pair of three-legged pants that they're also both in is doing a sort of can-can. There's a couple that's painted gold for some reason. Then we go to Sharon and Alpha dem demonstrating the basic hustle step. Then it's back to the floor for a bit, and we go to commercial with a shot of a couple with their hands on each other's butts. And yes, more ads. This set leads off with an ad for the movie Hooper, starring Burt Reynolds as the world's greatest stuntman. Then Vikings and people playing tennis promote Tuborg beer. Then we're told that Arthur Treacher's Shrimp and Chips is a cheap and classy way to impress a date. And then we're supposed to be impressed by the ancient German croisoning process that's used to, to brew Heilemann's old-style beer. We come back for another Village People performance, this time of their song, San Francisco, You Got Me. It wasn't among their biggest pop hits, and I can easily understand why, because it's probably the one that came the closest to spelling out that they were gay. 
with its talk of this, about the city by the bay being a city known for its freedom, where inhibitions, you don't need, need them. This was probably the most publicly out and proud moment the group had had to date. But like everything about everything else about them, it went over the heads of the network and the dancers. People don't think of the village people as being as subversive, subversive as, say, punk was at, at this time. But they certainly were in their own way. Now we hear thunder and see people in rain slickers on the floor as a disco version of Singing in the Rain plays. The song then changes to Last Dance by Donna Summer, and we see a couple having a water gun fight. Then, yes, more commercials. A disembodied voice propositions a nurse to use ultra-bright toothpaste. There's a commercial for the army set to a very disco-sounding jingle. Even America's armed forces weren't immune to the boogie. An ad for Toyota is followed by a woman in a white cowgirl outfit extolling the virtues of Revlon's Flex Balsam Shampoo. Then the announcer tells us that the dance finals are coming up, which is and that's followed by a brief promo for the, for the special Stephen Eady Celebrate Irving Berlin. I wonder if they discoed up any of his songs. I'd be shocked if they didn't. Then the Chicago Tribune invites you to get Sunday Morning Fever by reading their excerpts from a biography of John Travolta. There's a McDonald's Big Mac ad. And finally, another star power spot for the new albums by Kansas, Electric Light Orchestra, and Ted Nugent. And then we get a brief bit where a local announcer tells us that Second City Television is coming up next. This was the time when SCTV was on the global network in Canada and in syndication in the U.S. Obviously, it would be on, on in Chicago, because that's the original home of Second City. I wonder if the episode that came on after this was the one with Eugene Levy as Rockin' Mel Slurrup, host of SCTV Disco. That would just be too perfect. Anyway, moving on, we're back to the dance floor action. Suddenly, there's a lot of balloons around, and the music is a disco medley by some group imitating Beach Boys hits. The highlights of this segment are a couple on roller skates and a guy jumping a rope held by two people, playground style. So disco is about recapturing your childhood? That's not the impression I've gotten over the years. Let's talk about the rest of the show right after this. The Old Man Yells at Music podcast now has a Patreon. Yes, if you like this podcast so much you are moved to financially support it, now you can. There are different tiers with different rewards, such as early episode access, the ability to vote on future topics, and bonus episodes about extra songs from the charts I cover, other charts from other years, genres, and countries, and even the biggest hits of the 21st century. And you can even pick an episode topic for me at the top level. So if you're interested, go to patreon.com and search Old Man Yells at Music, or click on the link click on the links to the show notes, my social media posts, or the blog at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. Help me yell more at more music. Become a Patreon subscriber today. Now, it's the dance contest finals. 
The three couples start dancing on the floor, then they all move to the stage. The judges make notes and consult each other, then they send out Yvonne, Sharon, and Deborah to hand out the medals. Ken and Maxine are declared the winners, ahead of Dwight and Erica and Lynn and Harry. The winner's medal is a cheap silver-colored circle with winner printed on it. We're told that the runners-up get men's and women's watches by Elgin, while the champs get disco jukeboxes from Morse Electrophonics that, with colored lights that respond to the music. Is it wrong that I want one of those? I don't care. I do. Guess what? Commercials. There's an ad where a woman says, I'm going to have a fit. Want to watch? Turns out she's going to try on some Levi's jeans. Then we learn about the freshness of Lister Mint mouthwash, the super sirloin at Ponderosa Steakhouse, and that you can buy Jerry Rafferty's album City to City, featuring the hits Baker Street and Right Down the Line at Kmart. We come back to the return of the spinning flying saucer. A couple does some frenetic arm shaking. There's a little toy robot wandering around for some reason. Then the spinners return to lip sync their 1972 hit, I'll Be Around. I'm wondering, should there be a statute of limitations on how long after you record a song that you should be able to lip sync it? I believe there should be, and that limit should be shorter than six years. But hey, great! it's a great song, and this was the 17, Anything Goes Late 70s, so I'll allow it. And yes, more commercials. Ladies, get perfect curls with the Clairol Crazy Baby Curling Iron. And don't get caught with your hair up. Use the Clairol Instant Hair Setter. We get an ad for Huggies Diapers, which had just been introduced that year. And finally, Bears linebacker Doug Buffone tells us how much he and his family love Pizza Hut's Chicago Thin Pizza. We return for one more dance demonstration. Gary and Deborah do a hustle step, then they add a dip. Then we go back to the dance floor. The jungle sounds and the plastic vines are back, as is our trapeze lady, lady, who's in green again. Once again, crawling ants are projected onto a couple's clothes. Then we see the woman scream and fall off her trapeze again, but this time from farther away. And we don't see where she landed this time. Is this a second tragedy that these callous disco people are too caught up in the groove to notice? Or is it just a different angle of what we've already seen used as a lazy way of filling the last few seconds? Who knows? One more set of commercials. We get an ad for Marriott's Great, Amusement, Great America Amusement Park, which now is owned by Six Flags. There's a commercial for a clothing store called Just Pants, which apparently really did only sell tr trousers. A guy brags about his Kodak Our Gang video camera, which apparently costs less than $100. And then a photographer talks with an off-screen Tom Bosley about how well his business is doing after the loan he got from Continental Bank. And then we're back to see someone writing the word chow below La Disco on the sign. We get thanks to the featured dancers, Magic Man Lee Edwards, but not his unidentified and possibly incinerated assistant, trapeze artist Jan Ritzka, and the gold-painted couple who we saw a couple times. They're, ident they're identified as Linda and Dan. 
our announcer identifies himself as Orlando Bonner, and he bids us shall. The credits roll. Camp Beverly Hills and Sunshine Clothing Company are credited as fashion providers, and one associate producer goes by the name Gary Necessary. I'm sure that's not a pseudonym. Then at the end of the video, we, of the YouTube video, we get a couple more commercials, most notably one for Norman Rockwell collector glasses at Arby's. Wonder how old Norman would have depicted a typical scene at Studio 54 for the Saturday Evening Post. So, what do I make of this? Well, it's kind of what I expected. At this point in time, the disco was being held up as the place to be for the young and the beautiful. And so this show was presented as a way for people who either didn't qualify or lived too far away from a major city to experience the glamour and excitement of the scene. And what they showed was people doing a set of moves that ranged from tame and traditional to suggestive and sexy, surrounded by beefcake bartenders, sexy circus performers, magic, gimmicks, and other frills. It looked like a lot of fun. The music was throbbing and relentless, and the performers who made it ranged from veterans latching on to the latest sound to new artists who were different and exotic in a way people just couldn't put their finger on. Overall, if the disco industry was hoping for this to be an advertisement on their behalf, I'm sure they would have been pleased. Disco and TV continued to intersect throughout the rest of the decade. Shortly after this, CBS aired a couple of specials called Disco Magic, and the next year they launched the short-lived disco-themed drama series California Femur, featuring former Tales from the Bargain Bin subject Jimmy McNichol. Also in 79, ABC tried out the sitcom Making It, starring regular Dr. Pepper pitchman David Naughton as a Travolta wannabe. Naughton's theme song became a hit, despite being, in my opinion, the low point of the entire disco genre. But the show flopped. In November, ABC teamed up with Hugh Hefner and some of his playmates for Playboys, Roller Disco, and Pajama Party. But 79 was also the year of the big disco backlash, typified by the blowing up of thousands of records by rowdy rock fans during Disco Demolition Night, which was between baseball games at Comiskey Park in, where else, Chicago. By 1980, though the sound of disco still lingered, the word disco was almost an obscenity to most people, and TV, like the rest of the culture, moved on. So that's the story of La Disco. But wait, there's more. If you want to hear me talk more about how television handled the disco craze in 1978, I've recorded a mini-episode about a segment on disco that Dan Rather did for 60 minutes that year. And I'm going to make it available to anyone who signs on to the Old Man Yells at Music Patreon at any level, from the Hot 100 $2 a month tier and upward. And I'm planning on doing this kind of thing for all of my turn-on, tune-in, rock-out episodes in the future. Doing a bonus mini-episode about a top about a topic similar to the one I cover on the main episode. So if you want to hear me talking about straight-laced newsman Dan's 
adventures in the hottest nightclubs and coolest recording studios of 1978, go to patreon.com and search Old Man Yells at Music, or follow the links in my show notes or on the blog post. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. As always, if you like what you've heard, share, subscribe, and leave a review where you found it. You can also leave feedback on the Facebook and Twitter feeds, both of which are at Mr. B. Glovehead, or on the blog post for this episode, which is at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com, or you can check out the Instagram account at Old Man Yells at Music. As always, there's a companion, a companion YouTube playlist to this episode, which I link to in the show notes. Also in the show notes is a link to my Patreon, where you, where you can support the show and get some bonus content, including the mini episode about Disco on 60 Minutes. And you can make my charts, just like Mike Birmingham. All lyrics quoted are for the purposes of discussion and review, and infringement is intended. Next time on the show, we're looking at charts again, this time jumping ahead 20 years to 1998. Coincidentally, it's the year that movie about Studio 54 with Mike Myers came out. Until then, I'm Roger Scroop saying, whenever you call me, I'll be there. Whenever you want me, I'll be there. Whenever you need me, I'll be there. I'll be around. As long as you have a computer, cell phone, or tablet, and a stable internet connection. Stay safe. white tuxedo with a cranberry shirt and two scarves. Formal. And Deborah in a satin print skirt from the 50s and an antique white chiffon blouse. Sassy and classy.